you, Gilberts, Leslie, and Paul. It's good to see you all here today. Good morning, you too. <laughs> Very good. <clears throat> well, let's take our Bibles once again and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21. We continue on in our journey, what we call the bridge book. If you took Acts out of your Bibles, the Gospels to Romans, and you would be lost. Well, we've been filling in a lot of gaps, shall we say, and Acts has been that book. It's a bridge book. We find Paul today, he's on a mission. That probably would be a good name for our session today, a man on a mission. Let's find that out now. He continues on in Acts chapter 21. We'll look at verse 1 through 16. Acts chapter 21, verse 1. It came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara. Finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unlaid her burden. Finding her and finding disciples, we tarried there seven days who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. When we had accompanied those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave, one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. When we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. The next day we were of Paul's company departed, came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy, and as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. When he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. When Paul answered, What mean you to weep and to break my heart? I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus." When he could not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. After those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, and brought with him one Manasin of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us just bow for prayer before we begin our study. Father God, thank you for bringing us together here today. As we've sung songs and we've brought prayers and requests before you, which, Father, you're open for business at all times. Father, now you have us surrounding the word. May the Holy Spirit exclusively teach us. Take us where you want us. Father, may we feel and know the word like we've never before. Father, have us. You have us. Now take us. We are yours. We are your instruments to be used in a world that's gone crazy, a society that is indistinguishable from what you had designed. But Father, may our light shine because it's you shining through us. Now again, Father, may the Spirit guide us and direct us, take us where you want us. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Uh, once again, I'm going to, Laramie, would you please... Uh, Give us our map on the board so we can get ourselves geographically connected, our context. And as he's doing that, uh, one of the things that we, we've been watching this develop. Paul, even though he's been stopping in, he's been taking, uh, what should we say, revisiting, reviewing those people that he has visited before. There was a coup, if you will, a potential coup on his life, as he was going to go to fulfill this mission. His mission was to take gifts, offerings, tithes, from literally the entire, uh, find the right end here, there we go, um, throughout all of the world that he, had that he had transported, shall we say the gospel, literally he was picking up offerings. He was trying to bring back to Jerusalem, which would have been 
if you can believe it or not, the place the church started, probably the most maligned, the most persecuted place, because we would have had Jews that hated Jesus living right there. Jesus was killed there. That's where the church started. And obviously, economically, if you were a Christian in Jerusalem, it probably, if you've ever thought of whatever bias, whatever racism, whatever it is, it was truly that in Jerusalem. If you would have stood up for Jesus Christ, you probably didn't have a job. If you stood up for Jesus Christ, your family would be persecuted. If you stood up for Jesus Christ, you're lucky to have your life. That's what's going on back at home base. And as Paul has been going through this entire region on, his, on a missionary journey, one of the things that he wanted, to, two things he wanted to accomplish. One, for those that were, and keep in mind now, little parenthesis, in chapter 2, we know that when the church began, that there was a sense of communion or community-oriented People that had a lot of wealth would have sold goods and spread it throughout the people that needed it. Those that would have lost a job, those that would have went back home, couldn't even go home. So there were those in need. That was first, but the second thing, which is even more so, let's say that you are a Jewish believer in Jerusalem, and you heard that the Gentiles are being saved. Oh, my goodness sakes. Samaritans were bad enough. They're half-breeds, and they're being saved, and the Holy Spirit is on them. But literally, we're hearing from Cornelius actually saved a Gentile, and the Holy Spirit was on that person. This is craziness. There was a divide. It would have been incredible. So what is Paul trying to do? Well, he's wanting to have unity not only in the sense of financial giving, but even more importantly, to show unity among the church. There is no Jew. There is no Greek. There is no Gentile. It's all one in Christ, all one spirit. That's what Acts is about. The Holy Spirit was utilized to show in each segment of the population of the church that it's the same spirit. It doesn't come on at different times. It came at different times in the book of Acts to show that it's the same spirit, all making it one in Christ. How would it even be better for gifts to come from, say, Achaia, Greece? A long ways away. And there would have been, and the other thing he was doing, he was taking representatives from each one of those churches that literally were giving these gifts to come to Jerusalem. So his mission literally is to capture this, bring representatives and go back to Jerusalem. And then can you imagine that church getting a gift from somebody in Greece or Bithynia? This is for you, dear brother and sister in Christ. Oh my goodness. You talk about knock the walls down, talk about a paradigm being broken. That literally is what Paul has been doing in all of this time. He was going to go straight in from Corinth. He was going to go straight into uh, to Jerusalem from there, make that long journey. But it was discovered, in fact, that the Jews, I'm saying those that hated Jesus, they were going to do him in. More than likely would have killed him, threw him overboard. Okay? Sounds like a really bad idea. Now, the one thing I want you to notice, though, everywhere he goes, that's what he's actually going to mention. He mentioned it even last week in our, in our session. Every town that he has went, Paul has been told not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go there. In fact, we even just read a passage from a prophet. He literally used Paul's belt or his girdle. It would have more than likely almost a rope. And he would have asked for Paul to give it to him. And then he bound himself, hands and feet, and said, the man, the owner of that belt, it's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. Every place he goes, don't go, don't go, don't go. Now, if I say a man or a woman on a mission, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? A purpose. That's great. That's one of the, that's one of the words I actually have in my notes. That's really good. You t- Buddy taught her that. I want, that got, goes, that's a footnote. Very good. That's great. I love Buddy. That's great. You just keep listening to that guy, right? Okay. What did you say? Don't remember? Okay. Purpose. What else? Unstoppable. That's pretty good. Single-minded. Yeah. I'm, you know what? I'm going to go focused because it's shorter. Focused. Determined. Yeah. There we go. Determined. I'm still waiting for the word, but you're doing good. This is really quite, this is good, right? On fire. He really is, isn't he? I mean, this guy is on the tour. It was. Have a message. There's, there's a reason that they're doing this. Have something to give. I don't know. Yeah. 
I think that, in that, that, that would be underlying of the purpose. Yeah, that, that, but that's good. That, that underlines it. That's actually, see, we'll do that. In fact, what Alice said, we get to underline that now. See, isn't that good? There's a word that I thought may come up, and granted, it's just off the cuff, but how many times have you maybe heard messages where the speaker at the front would say, you guys need to have more courage. Did I say it loud enough? Just imagine it louder, right? It's like putting the weight on the recipient. Be courageous. Now, is there anything wrong with courage? No, but it's a really bad place to start. Because let's think about this for a moment. What happens is we will place ourselves. Now, you know what? Paul is already seeing this. He's seeing that potentially he's not going to get out of Jerusalem alive. We'll, we'll find that in several places. This isn't new information to him. So if somebody said, Paul, you need to more, be more courageous. If you just said that, the chances of him becoming more courageous are not very high. Because courage isn't where you start. Courage is where you end. Let me, let me, let me be more clear about that. Behind courage is commitment. When I'm committed, when I have a purpose, that word is really big. You will never have courage if you have no purpose. But it's deeper than just having that. If we take the word of God and you start to unfold it and unpack it, right now we look at our United States of America. We're in a mess. Our government's a disaster. Which I told you, I promised, it's coming soon. I want to talk about how we, as Christians in the church today, with the government that's in place, that is saying evil is good and good is evil. That says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, woe unto those. What do we do? It's going to take courage. But it's more than that. It's not just courage. You must have a commitment to a purpose. What's your purpose? What was Paul's purpose? Well, I've unfolded it for you, but it's more than that even. Uh, you know, here's, the, here's the deal. You know, when wasn't Paul purpose-driven? When wasn't he focused? You just peel away any, just pick a day on the calendar, pull him aside and say, what's your objective? He could tell you. Now, here's the question for me that I'm going to ask you. If every one of you here today, right now, if I say, what's your objective? Uh, that's usually what would happen, right? Because times when we float along. How could you have courage if you don't have an objective? You can't. You see the point? It's pointless to try to have courage without having a purpose. Think of being, now this is where we get shook up. How many of you want to be a martyr? <laughs> no. It's, in fact, there was, I'll tell, tell a quick story. There was a monk that uh, was in the monastery, and his desire of his Whatever that monastery leader is, I don't even know what that person would be, but he was a leader. I want to be a martyr. He would come to him every day. I want to be a martyr. And finally, the leader of the monastery says, okay. And he sets him up in a situation that was very precarious. In fact, it came to the point that he was going to be burned to the stake or literally fall down and worship an idol. Well, our monk who was built up from the ins on the outside, going to courageously be a martyr, all of a sudden wilted and fell apart and worshipped an idol. As he crawled back to the monastery, a broken man. But by the way, now, this is the really cool part. There's not one of you in this room, myself included, that has not fallen apart sometime. Every one of God's saints in the Bible, which is really cool. This is actually encouraging you more than anything. Moses. Failure. David, failure. Abraham, for goodness sakes, in Egypt, he says to his wife, don't tell him you're my wife because I might be killed. Tell him you're my sister. Loser. But you know what? He is the father of faith because he believed God. All of that to say, literally just for us, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the fact is you will probably fall down. And Jesus is right there. Spirit never left you. Keep that in mind. Isn't that cool? David said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. In Psalms, the Holy Spirit won't leave you if you've trusted Christ. Permanent dwelling. I can't tell you how excited I am to be on this side of the cross. That Spirit is ready and able to pick you back up and let's go again. That's what a Christian does. They keep going. Paul, I'm thinking of him for a moment. The guy is so focused. Remember what he was focused on before he knew Christ? Mm. 
killing Christians. What are you going to do today? Well, I don't know why I always say, I'm going to eat my Captain Crunch, and I'm going to go crucify a Christian. That's what he did. Ate his breakfast and took off. This isn't unlike him, but what did he do? Where did the courage come from? Just courage itself? No. It came from conviction. It came from commitment. What is, what is conviction? Tell me what that is. What is it? If you're convicted of something, now, there's, there's another slant to that, but conviction will do what to you? It's based on what? Based on trust. You're not going to be committed to something. Maybe I'll use that word commitment. That's one of my favorite words, to be focused on a commitment. Commitment is literally trust. Trust. What is Paul trusting? He's trusting in God. We're going to look at the fact that uh, it's too early for that. I, I don't want to go there right now. A man on a mission. Are you guys on a mission? Wow, that was awesome, that response here. <laughs> wow, I mean, we are getting somewhere now. <laughs> I'll ask you later. You'll have another chance. I'm going to write courage up there. Courage. Commitment. But you know what? Something else beyond the commitment. That sounds good so far, right? I'm courageous because I'm committed. How do you get committed? Belief. Excuse me? I said belief. Belief or being convinced. Convinced. See, it starts with a C. That's the only reason I'm doing it, right? Because if you're not convinced about what the truth of the matter, you're not going to be committed. And if you're not committed, you're not going to be courageous. See, that's, that's what they've done in, in the world is they thought that they could sell, which they did. And I don't know if it was in the 40s or 50s, but it was a long time ago. And they said, you know what? There is no such thing as absolute truth. Paul can have his truth. Buddy can have his truth. Carol can have her, her truth. And everybody else can have their own truth because you know what? If it's just your own truth, guess who you're committed to? Yourself. And the only thing you're courageous about is protecting yourself. That is what is wrong with the world today. We've thrown truth out. We have nothing to stand on except our own self. So when I tell you to be courageous, you should be asking, in what? What do I stand for? What do I really stand firm on? Now, the other thing is commitment. How much commitment do you have? Is it once in a while? What are you committed to? What is your objectives? Let's talk real general right now. Let's say we're here. Now, we're here. Most of you, no doubt, have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm hopeful that someone here that hasn't, by the end of today even, that Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will reach inside your heart and convict you of what you need as a Savior. And then you're one of us. It's pretty cool. It's really cool because the Holy Spirit comes up within you. But what should be our objective? You say I said should because it may not be if you don't believe it. What do you think Paul's general overall objective would have been? To lead others to Christ. Yeah, it was really all over it, wasn't it? Because he saw what it was before he knew Christ. He wants others to know him. Jesus, that is. Let's go to a verse that I think this would have been probably a life mission, a life verse for Paul. And it should be for us as well, or it could be. How's that? Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Let's take a look. This is a verse, you know, and some people thought, you know, don't, don't mark up your Bible. I'm here to say if you can mark up a Bible because you can always buy another one if you want one that's clean, just to use that one. I, my Bible is marked up because when the Spirit tells me to underline something, I'm going to underline it. I'm going to mark it up. If it was the last Bible, I would mark it up, right? But uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 this is one I actually have in pink. That must have been the, the pen I had that day. But it sticks out, I'll tell you that much. It says this, That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That's Paul's mission. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know his resurrection. I want to know his sufferings. Because the more I know him the more I look like him. And the more I look like him, the more desirable others are going to see him as coming to. Now, how do you know him? 
One pastor said, my goal is not to know the Bible. That's not my objective. My objective is to know Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I often think of a story. There was a guy that was locked up, and the only book he had was a Bible. And he read through it, and he could tell you about it, but it was never personal to him. Didn't mean anything to him. It was just a book that he read, right? Do you see the difference? But you must read and know the Bible to know Jesus Christ. The objective is not knowing the Bible. The objective is to know Jesus Christ as much as possible. And guess how that happens? Through the Bible. One of my prerogatives or, or uh, commitments is to feed you. God has placed that within me. That's, I don't know why. Couldn't tell you. But I am excited to be able to go to the Word of God and to teach people about Jesus Christ. That gets me fired up. Where do I have to do that? Got to go to the book. And I've told you this before. I just hope you have enough courage that because you want to know Jesus Christ, if me or anyone would come in this pulpit and not use the Bible to teach you, throw the bum out. That's me included. Because that's where the truth's at. That's how the flock is fed. You can stand with courage on that. And I stand with courage before you that the truth is within the Word of God. That's what we have to have. That's what we have to have. Now, the interesting part of all of this narrative, if you go back to our text, and is Acts chapter 21. These words really aren't even used, but you can see the mission that he's on. Let's track his, his, uh, his journey. Um, we found last week that he was at Miletus. Now, the people at Ephesus would have walked, the, uh, the elders, we had a, a passage on that last week, they would have walked 30 miles to Miletus because that's where the ship was at. He was there for a few days. Now, why didn't Paul go to Ephesus? Because he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he wants to get there before the Feast of Pentecost. He is on a mission. So they actually met him there. They had a great, great time, and he said something. He said, this will be the last time I see you. How did he know that? I would think that the Holy Spirit showed him that there was something going to happen in Jerusalem. In fact, let's go all the way back. Let's go back the day maybe not today, the very uh, epicenter of when Paul was saved. Let's watch something. Jesus Christ is talking to Ananias, the guy that was going to encourage Paul. Go back to chapter 11 of Acts. Of Acts. Acts chapter 11. Let's take a quick look. <clears throat> Let's see. Did I get that? Uh, I'm wrong. Chapter 9. I'm so sorry. Chapter 9 of Acts. Acts chapter 9. And Ananias is being called to witness or to give encouragement to this Saul of Tarsus. Verse 12. Let's turn to verse 12. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias, this is the guy that that, that is going to encourage Paul, Saul at this point, answered and said, Lord, I've heard by, many of this man, heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on his name. In other words, I know about this Saul guy, and, and he's a guy that's he's not good. He's killing people. And you want me, a Christian, to meet with him? Well, am I coming home, or what's going on here? This doesn't look good. Watch the follow-up. Verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Watch verse 16, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Right out of the box, Paul knew that he was going to be suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is no news to him. This is not a surprise. But the interesting part for me is, is how dedicated he is to finish the course. Now, again, from Miletus, they leave. They're, they are really sorry that he, they're never going to see him again. They take off, and you see this cause, and you see Rhodes, and you see Patara. Those are all in your text. They're about a one-day uh, journey on a ship. And it must have been a smaller vessel because they're just kind of riding the coastline. So now in that, in the Aegean Sea, which would be this region, if you go back in history, typically the winds would blow out of the north during the daytime, be calm in the evening, and then blow out of the south through the night, okay? Now, if you just 
geographically look at that, it looks like we should sail in the daytime and be on the side of the shore, on, and that's exactly what took place. So here they are at Patara. Now at Patara, they grab a different ship. They're going to take a larger vessel, and they're going to go all the way over to Phoenicia, or Tyre is where they, where they, where they end up. Okay? That's about a 400-mile trip from Patara to Tyre is about 400 miles. It actually took about five days by sailing. If it's, and I'm saying that from a historian saying, if the weather is, is fair, that's about the length of time it should take. All of that to say that he's again, do you, how many of you would get on a ship and start back over this way, and then by the way, since they were gonna kill you, you can go straight, you went all the way back through all of the churches that you actually were visiting, and we're getting here and we're still gonna to go to Jerusalem. How many of you have been dissuaded? How much of your courage and your purpose, I'm sorry, even your purpose, but you, would you have been unstoppable at this point? And every place you go, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. They're gonna bind you, they're gonna kill you. Would, would that stop you? Probably. Probably. Should it? Oh, now it's quiet. <laughs> Do you see, our world, our lives, self is very infatuated with comfort and safety. We love comfort and safety. In fact, we'll protect ourselves at almost at every level, right? That's not abnormal. That's normal. Do you know what Paul thought about safety? Zero. Obedience was so far out in front, safety wasn't even on the, it wasn't even on the backside. Comfort? You should read about him on comfort, right? If you've been stoned and they thought you were dead and drug you out to the town dump, again, I can't imagine. There's humor in the fact of the tragedy, but they've actually literally thought they killed Paul. They drag him out to the dump, and the fellow brothers come out, and pretty soon he walks back into town. Would you walk back into that town? Why did he? Because he had courage. Because he had a focus and he was committed to it. Are you starting to like this guy? He would be called crazy, right? I just can't hardly wait to take you to the end of where we really see what Paul really believed. But I want to show you what he didn't believe, and I'm going to jump ahead for that even. But if you're still in Acts chapter 21, let's, let's jump ahead. Uh, let's not do it. Just, just hold on. Just hold on. Just hold on. We're, I'm going to move you right to Tyre. They stayed there at that little uh, at Patara for seven days because they were waiting for uh, the bigger ship, it says in verse 4. And when they accomplished those days, verse 5, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us in our own way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. Now, the, what we didn't do is, is in, the, in the sense of that last little town, which he didn't start. What do you do when you go to a new town? I'll tell you what Paul did every single time. Let's find out who the believers are. And if there's not a synagogue, let's just start like looking around for them, right? He instantly opens up a new dialogue with new Christians, or with, uh, to him, new Christians, right? And isn't it amazing? When you're in a company somewhere, and I can be flying across the United States, and I'll get in some group, and somehow you find out that person is a Christian. You know what happens? There's a bond. It's amazing, isn't it? You feel that. Paul has this, and you know what? He's in a place they don't even know him, and they say, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Really? <laughs> why, why did they say that? Be the same thing. If I knew that Paul was going, this Paul, if this Paul was going to go to Billings and he would be tied up and thrown in jail and potentially even killed, what would I say to Paul? Don't go. Wouldn't you? I mean, he's your friend. You love him. But the question is, <laughs> oh, that, we, won't even, we won't record that. <laughs> Alice said, well, <laughs> all in love, right? All in love. But the point of the matter is, where does God want you? Where does God want him? I want him to be where God wants him. I want me to be where God wants me. There's a lot of surprises that come at us, isn't it? There's things that even say 15, 20, 25 years ago, even five years ago, something just hits you out of the blue. You couldn't have imagined it hitting. You couldn't even have seen it. As bad as it could be, I want to be there in the middle of God's will. There's no place safer than there. I want my kids to be in the center of his will. 
I want them there. That's exactly what Paul wanted. That's exactly what he wanted. And it didn't matter to him. Safety, comfort, none of those things meant anything to him. Didn't matter. Because he was committed to a purpose. Now, the other thing is, if you notice so far, he cannot be diverted. Sometimes the depth, of, the depth, not the depth, the depth of our commitment is what does it take to be diverted? How hard is it for you to, to, to veer off? I've got this purpose and I'm standing firm. Oh, except for, right? There's a story about a guy that said his, he really, really wanted his neighbor to get saved. He was the kind of guy that would just sit out on the lawn on a Saturday and drink beer and just and, and nothing. Nothing happened with his life. I want to get that guy saved. Well, how much, how serious are you? Will you, will you, will you sacrifice any or all things to do that? Or, in this case, I should go over and witness that guy, but i got to go get tickets for the ball game tomorrow. You see the diversion, how easy it is? How easy it is? Now, that's all to us, all different things. But is your objective so easily diverted that you really don't even, can't even call it a real purpose or objective? It's so shallow. What keeps you from, what keeps you from your objective? Now, this is, your, this is my homework for you, not my homework, God's homework for you this, this week, is to come and find at least three overriding objectives for your life that purposely move you through it. That's number one. And those are things you believe in. Not somebody else. You believe in it. And then the next question is, how easy is it to be diverted? What price can you be bought off? I was looking at the Supreme Court justice and some of the rulings that have been done just recently. Um, And I guess I'll just say her name. Amy Barrett. If you listen to her when she took her oath and was very conservative, very, very conservative. And I wish Amy was here right now because I'd like to ask her some questions. This last week, the Supreme Court, five to four, voted to have the overpowering right to take down the fence in Texas, which is protecting us, the federal states of America, against incoming Illegal foreigners. There's a way to do this. That's not what she stood for. I'm picking one out of the group, but do you know what I think it is? Those on the, against her that made it her life very miserable listed all of her children and where they lived publicly. So now I see that the cost for her to divert, divert from what's truth and what's right is the safety of her family, okay? I think there's a decision to be made for Amy. Either step away from the Supreme Court or let God handle everything. That is what has to happen. I'm praying that God raises up men and women across the county, across the states, across our land, that are willing to stand up and be courageous for what's right and for what's true. That's how this nation will be taken back. Not sold out for any price, because there's a price that people will sell out for. I want you to think of Moses for a moment. Talk about a guy that's purposed and focused. He has an interesting childhood, and some of this is all, you, you know all of this, but maybe thinking about it in this light is a little bit different. Moses was this newborn boy. That's a bad thing if you're in Egypt because, interestingly enough, Pharaoh had told the midwives to go ahead and kill all of the baby boys of the Israelites. The baby girls are okay. Huh, I wonder what that's about. But if you're a boy, you're dead. What did the midwives do? What did they do to that civil government? Egypt's in charge. Pharaoh's in charge. He's probably as powerful a man as there is in the world. You know what they did? They obeyed God. They let the baby boys live. Why? Because they had a purpose. Because they stood on truth. Well, here we have this little baby boy. What's mom, what's mom, what's, what, what's going to do? This looks bad. You know, it's hard to, to hide a baby boy. Boy, <laughs> right? 
what a, what a plan. Puts them in a little, in a, a little uh, bassinet, puts them out in the reeds, in the water, just floating along, right? And he, she ha he has, she has, her, his older sister, Miriam, why don't you watch that for a moment or two or three or four? Just make sure he's okay. And who would come out but Pharaoh's daughter? Little sovereignty of God going on here? She chose that section of the river? And my question would be, why would Moses be in that section of the river? Because that's where God put him. And she's bathing and doing her thing. And all of a sudden, I'm sure Moses let a little cry out, right? Oh, and she knew immediately, it must be one of the Israelite babies. You know, right? Why wouldn't she go to Daddy Pharaoh and immediately have him killed? Because God's in charge. Talk about now moving from that type of a growing up all the way through his early life. He's not only just an Israelite, he is now the Pharaoh's grandson, if you will, by adoption. I don't know how you could make it. That, that, my friends, if that was in America, we would tell the grand story because that man, Moses, would be rich, he would be famous, and he would be powerful. Got it? And Moses took all of that and drop-kicked it into the next week. You know why? Because he had a deeper purpose. He had something he believed in more than the Egyptian lifestyle. He had something that he trusted more. In fact, let's go to your Bibles and let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's watch this. This is faith in action. This is commitment. This is trust, if you will. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Hebrews eleven twenty-three. 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. That's interesting. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, whoops, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You know what that would be called in America if you made that choice? What an idiot, right? How stupid can you be? <laughs> right? I mean, let's be, let's be honest here. <laughs> He threw it all away to be all in for God. That, my friends, is where he got his courage. I don't know what that must have been like 40 years. Of course, it, his story is a little bit more complicated. Have you noticed your lives are more complicated than you thought they might be? That's kind of the way it is. So Moses is 40 years of age, and he thinks he is something. He's the stuff that God has to have to be able to get those Israelites out of Egypt. And you know the story. He ends up killing an Egyptian because he was beating a fellow Israelite. And then the next day, the Israelites said, well, you're going to kill me too? And away he goes. What would be worse? What would be the worst thing possible for 40 years wandering around the desert with sheep? I'm telling you, I'm right there with them. You talk about being on judgment roll, 40 years with sheep? <laughs> but you know what? God used that to get him ready to lead his sheep. At 80 years of age, at 80 years of age, he starts the real mission that God has for him. How do you think that would have been as the first time he and Aaron, his brother, walk into the courtyard of Pharaoh, who no doubt he knew? Oh, oh, it's you, Moses. Right? How do you think that went? Didn't matter. How much guts did that take to walk in there? Depends on who you believe. You believe God? Let's go, let's fast forward. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Find them in Daniel. Three guys. Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue. Sounds good, doesn't it? Everybody fall down and worship that. When the music plays, just fall down and worship it. Now, how easy would it be for us to say, that's just for a little bit. In my heart, I'm not bowing. It's like that little boy. He was really, really being pretty snotty, and his dad, his dad said, you sit down, Billy. I want you to sit down. And Billy sits down, and he says, I'm not sitting down inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of rebellion under sort of like 
right? <laughs> we sometimes can almost humor ourselves about what we can get away with by not, again, safety and comfort. That's a big umbrella. Safety and comfort. How big is it for you? Let your life tell you. They said, no, we're going to stand up right here. We're, we're just standing right here. What were they committed to? They were committed to knowing that there was to worship only God and God alone. Nobody else. Even though you get to watch and you get to walk into a furnace. So it doesn't matter. Because if we get this wrong, everything else is wrong. You're starting to see the level of commitment and the trust. What do you believe in? You won't have courage in anything unless you really believe it, if you really trust it. Let's go back to Acts. Let's go back to Acts. When we accomplished these things, verse 5, we departed, went our way. They all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. These are people we just met. When we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus and saluted the brethren and abode with them for one day. The next day, we were of Paul's company, departed, and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist. So what they've done now is they've actually they've come from Tyre. There's Ptolemus. And then they've went to Caesarea. Caesarea would have been a, a, a Roman outpost, a garrison of where, uh, for instance, Pilate would have resided there. It was about 65 miles from Jerusalem. It would have been northwest of Jerusalem. But the last seaport, from there they were going to walk. They were going to move into Jerusalem to get to the point of where the mission ends. But at Caesarea, there's a guy by the name of Philip, the evangelist. The only person we find in Acts that's called an evangelist. What do you know about Philip? Have we met this guy before? We did, didn't we? He was one of the seven. That's what it says. Philip would have been one. This is going to get real interesting, too. Talk about a meeting that's interesting. If you go back to chapter 6, you find that the disciples, the apostles, I should say, were overwhelmed by all of the needs and the cares of these in Jerusalem. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough shelter. And so they appointed seven people, seven deacons, if you will, to take care of the needs. Philip was one of those. Name another one. Stephen. Philip and Stephen were like that. Who killed Stephen? Or was part of that whole thing? Paul. <laughs> it was Saul. Paul is inside the home of Philip, who was best friends with Stephen. Do you know what? Grace covers all of that. Covers all of that. They had the same purpose. They had the same mission, regardless of past. I wonder what it was like just to say howdy. <laughs> now, I didn't say, there was something that I didn't mention, was those people at Tyre that they spent actually seven days with. There was something there. Did Paul found that church? Had he ever been there before? Well, I couldn't say he hadn't been there before, but he had nothing to do with the church. Guess how that church was started? Again, thinking of the sovereignty of God. How did it start? The death of Stephen, the persecution, you read it in your own Bible, they were dispersed all through the area, and that church entire was started because of the death of Stephen. So Paul, Saul, indirectly started the church of which he has fellow Christians there with him. Is God not awesome? He's at the home of Philip. He abode with him. Philip had four daughters, virgins, they were unmarried, which, had prophe which did prophesy. They had the, the gift of prophecy. And as they tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Now, he actually found him in chapter 11, verse 28. You can jot that down if you'd like. But here he is again back in Caesarea. When he was come unto us, we talked about it briefly before, he took Paul's girdle, or it would be a sash or a belt of which he would have kept everything kind of tied together, if you will. And he said, give me that, please. And he bound his heat, hands and feet, and he said, thus saith the Holy Ghost. Uh-oh, this is, this is words from God. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, who's, did you see we? Who is that? We're, this is Luke. Luke is writing this. So Luke is part of the group, and we are saying 
Both we and they that are of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Again, wherever he's at, they continue to tell him what's going to happen. Don't go. Now, what did the Holy, did the Holy Spirit say not to go? Nah, didn't say that. What was actually going on? Preparing for what's coming. Preparing Paul for what's coming. The Holy Spirit said, that's what's going to happen. You're going to be bound. You're going to be, in fact, he doesn't even know to what level. In fact, go back to chapter 20 for a moment. Chapter 20 of Acts, just back on the other side of the page. It says in verse 22, Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Verse 23, Save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide, abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So this prophet tells him what's going to happen. And that did happen. They told him, don't go up there. Watch what Paul responds by, verse 13. And Paul answered, he said, what mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 14. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. I have that word underlined in my Bible, persuaded. They couldn't persuade him not to go. What is Paul persuaded to do? What, what are you persuaded to be or, be or do? That's really what this is all about, is a commitment based upon being convinced you're convinced or persuaded. I'll tell you some, somebody that was just really, really, I think, close to being persuaded to become a Christian. We find him later on in the book of Acts, and it was King Agrippa. Let's go to that section. I want to show you here was a man that was close, but he was not convinced. Let's go to chapter 26 and verse 28. Acts 26, 28. Uh, Paul has witnessed before this man, King Agrippa. Verse 27 is where we'll pick it up. 26, did I tell you Acts 26? I hope so. Acts 26, verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What is he saying? I'm about that close to believing you. And you know how far that is? An eternity away. An eternity away. Never miss the opportunity when you're close to accept Christ. Well, Paul was not convinced or persuaded to stay in, or, I'm sorry, to not go to Jerusalem because he was on a mission. Didn't matter to him. Didn't matter. But I want to show you something that he was persuaded. And we find this in his, in his writings that took place for, for him later, but it was certainly part of who he was. Let's start with... 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. I did a little, I guess, investigation in my uh, concordance in the sense of the word surrounding persuaded, at least that's translated that way in the King James Bible. And let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 12. Uh, we need to back up. We need to back up. Let's start at verse 8 because it's so good. This is, this is literally, this is his call to courage for Timothy. This is his, he's mentoring this young man, Timothy. Verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now watch. For the which cause I also suffered these things. That's why he's suffering. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed on him against that day. 
Do you know why Paul was courageous in the face of maybe even imminent death in Jerusalem? Because he was purposely committed and believed that he could trust a God that had sent Jesus Christ to save him. But let's look what else. I was just, I was just running through my own. I was thinking, what do I really believe? That's a good question for us. What do I really believe? Because we will live how we believe. That's why Paul was so good about this. If you take any one of his epistles, the first half or the first part of it particularly is how you must think. You have to get the thinking right before you can do the living right. And I can't tell how many people are just floating through life. And the one way to meet his goal is not to have any. <laughs> Every one of those is met. Sometimes we just flow through life. We're too tired. Oh, I don't feel like it. I, right? You fill it in. There's all kinds of things you can end the sentence with. But am I committed? Am I committed? I was thinking of, I was thinking of myself, what, do I, what gets me to where I really say, okay, and, and you've got your back to the wall, and there's nothing, nowhere to go. What is it that holds me? See, and I always go to Romans chapter 8. So let's go to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. If I know this to be true, there isn't anything that literally can keep me from my purpose. And if, I have my, if I'm on purpose, courage comes naturally. Oh, by the way, don't desire to be a martyr. Desire to have a purpose that's based in God's will. And guess what? The rest of it takes care of itself. It takes care of itself. There was a martyr, and I can't think of his name right now. I've been struggling with it, which bugs me. I shouldn't say it because I need to find the guy's name. I read about him this week. But it was a guy that was actually given several hours' notice that, the, that Bloody Mary was the one that was rounding up pastors. For the life, I'll, I'll get it to you next week. How's that? Just to prove that this is, this is it. What would you do if you had six or seven hours before the guy was coming to arrest you to take you back to Bloody Mary? I would think about a, maybe a plane, a train, a car, a bus, a horse, a whatever. This guy actually just packed his stuff, and he waited in his home. The guy knocked on the door. He said, come on in, friend. Let's have something to eat. Well, he said, do you know why I'm here? Yeah, he said, I do know why you're here. And I'll gladly go because I want to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to anyone. Whoa. That's a purpose. Now, for us that want to have a good rest of the story, we want that. You know, I love to tell you the story about what's the, the three guys? Shadrach. There, I couldn't get hit. I had Meshach and the other guy, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, those three guys love to tell that story because at the end, guess what? Jesus Christ is in the furnace with them. You know where Jesus Christ is with you? He never leaves you. I am with you today and forever, right? But he's in the furnace. I love to tell that story because guess what? Nothing happened. Wasn't that great? Except Nebuchadnezzar says, whoa, <laughs> now that's a God, right? Isn't that fun? Guess what happened to our man, back to our guy that was waiting for the arrest to come. He did, in fact, go back, and there was not only himself, but two other pastors that were burned at the stake. They gave their life. But as he was being burned, he said, today you are lighting the candle of God's light. And it was on that day, literally, that, the, that that whole bond was broken, that wheeling of the fear, and the church was set free because that man was willing to be liberated from this life, to go with Jesus Christ, ultimately, but also to be that one that was on fire courageously because of the purpose to, lead the Lord, to have the Lord Jesus Christ to be on display. Where did this courage from, come from? Not from courage itself. See, the last thing I should tell you, you just guys need to be more courageous. You need to be more courageous. That's what you're lacking. Be more, it's just like telling somebody, stop being depressed. Oh, that'll work, right? It's got to be something underlying of that. Exactly what Paul is showing us in this passage. He's not even naming it, but you can see the power behind the thing that he is just on a mission for. Are we on that mission? Are we on that mission? I told you to go to Romans. That's the place I go. I love Romans and Ephesians. That's where I get a lot of hope. Romans chapter 8. Let's start here. Now, this is something I'm going to just we'll pop right into it. Verse 31. What shall we say then? To these things. 
if God be for us, <laughs> who can be against us? That's a great position to be, right? Right there, I can stand firm. Let's keep going. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yes, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Oh, my goodness, we talked about that last week. Think of the best defense attorney you can possibly imagine. Got him or her? Yours when you've trusted Christ as Savior. Now, the prosecuting attorney, he's no slouch. According to Revelation chapter 10, verse 12, 12 verse 10, it's Satan. When a Christian has a bad day, when he denied, how, can you imagine what Satan was doing with Peter after he denied Jesus Christ three times? Oh, you loser. And you know, Jesus even prayed for Peter before it happened. I'm praying that Satan is going to sift you, right? I love it. And you know who his defense attorney was? Do you know who your defense attorney is if you've trusted Christ? Jesus Christ himself. He's sitting at the right hand of God, and he said, I paid for that. I paid for that. If you're a Christian, I paid for that. Now, if you don't have Jesus Christ, guess who paid for that? You're going to pay for that. I want Jesus Christ as my defense attorney. Satan or no Satan, you win. Keep going. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or Jerusalem or Jews that hate me or, right? Uh, put your own life in there. There's, something happened this month. Something happened last month. Something happened even maybe this week, maybe yesterday. Something that was life-threatening. It's in there. What can separate us from that? Keep going. It's going to get cool just in a minute. As it is written, for thy sake... We are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. This is what Paul's persuaded of. This is what he believes in. What does he believe? That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor Jerusalem, nor Jews that hate me. That's added. Or things to come, or things present, or whatever. No height, no depth, no anything can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. That's what he believed. And if you believe that, guess what? You're going to be committed, you're going to be convinced, and you will have courage beyond imaginable. Beyond imagination. Let's try that. That's a better word. Whew. See, this is so encouraging to me. Now, none of these things are stated because if you flow through Acts, chapters, the last several chapters, in fact, let's go all the way back to, I hope I've got it. Oh, I'm in Romans. Let's go back to Acts for a moment. Let's go back to chapter 19. And he's in Ephesus. I don't, I don't even know where to start. I don't want you to start all back in verse 1. You can do that on your own. But let's just go to verse 17. This is Acts chapter 19, verse 17. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That's what I want to do. I want Jesus Christ's name to be magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds, many of them, also which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces. 50,000 yeah, 50, pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I love that. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Wouldn't that be my prayer for America? That the word of God mightily prevails? Now watch verse 21. This is where I wanted you to be. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit, that's his spirit from the Holy Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also go to Rome. Do you see right there, the Holy Spirit placed within his heart, he's got to go to Jerusalem. He's got to get back to the church of Jerusalem. He's got to make sure that there's unity in the church coming from the Gentiles and the Jews as he's giving a, an offering to be able to bring them out of their poverty. And why is he doing that? Because I want to know him more. That's the general objective. Every one of us today should want to know Jesus Christ more. Philippians 3.10. Now, your objectives for you can be very individualistic. Um, I don't know, whatever you do for a living, that's great, and that's no problem. Your mission can be something that you do as long as the fact that God's will is involved in it every way, shape, and form. I was uh, actually interviewed a couple. I don't, know, I don't know why I'm saying this, but it, it, it hit me early this morning. It fits, I think, in the sense of how purpose is so important. This was a young couple I was interviewing for a job. And... We're busy enough to where it was set up that you're just going to ride along with me in, my, in the feed truck, and it ended up being probably an hour and a half or two hours. And we're off feeding cows, right? 
And what I'm looking for, I'm looking for this, uh, even in my own kid, my kids would know that there's something that's really, really important that is, what is your passion? What drives you? We weren't very many sentences into this, and we weren't even in the truck yet, and I said, what drives you? What's your passion? And I'm getting nothing from him, nothing. And I look at his wife, and I said, point, I'm at, point my finger in a nice way, and I said, tell me what makes him get up in the morning and he can't be stopped. That's passion, right? Do you know what I got from her? Nothing. Either she didn't know, or she didn't know. You know what? I was with him for two hours. I do not know what his passion was. The only thing I found out was it would be very much like this. I told you this story before, but it really drives home the point. There was a, a reporter that was, was going to interview some workmen on a job. And they're all doing exactly the same thing. But he starts with the first guy, and they were laying bricks. He says, what are you doing today? I'm laying bricks. Uh, and that's all I do. I just lay bricks. Do it eight hours a day. I lay bricks, and I go home. Okay. He's a bricklayer. Works by the hour. Got it. Okay. Goes to the second guy. What do you do? Well, I'm, actually, I'm laying bricks, but he said, we're building a fantastic wall. I mean, you can start to see it take shape now. I mean, it's pretty cool. See that guy down there, and you see that guy? We're all working together to build a wall. Wow. You feel a little bit more of it, right? You can, right? So he goes to the last guy, and he said, what do you do? Well, he says, personally, right now, I'm on the part of the job that I'm laying bricks. But he said, this is just a small part of the most beautiful cathedral that we can even imagine. Which one has passion? <laughs> it's pretty easy, isn't it? That young man told me, I said, would you rather be paid by the month or by the hour? I'm coming back to my guy, the guy that was interviewing. Well, actually by the hour because that way I have incentive to, no, that, that will never work. It'll never work. That's not a passion. And you just, then what you want to do is you want to find the highest paying job per hour and then love Friday, Saturday, and hate Sunday because it's already going to be Monday tomorrow. That's what it is, right? That's, that, that's not a life. That's seeking after things that have no sense of contentment. There's no purpose. Do you see the need we have for passion? You can call it whatever you want. Passion, commitment. But you'll never have either one of those until you're convinced of the truth that lies behind it. That's why we are above all blessed, because you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. And he lived, and he died, and he rose again. I'm so glad I'm on this side. I've read stories about Moses. Moses didn't know Jesus. He's only going off, off, off of the promises that were made to Abraham. Oh, my goodness. Hebrews chapter 11. Fabulous, fabulous. <coughs> by faith. What's your passion today? Are you following? What's keeping you from it? I hope not safe to your comfort. It's easy. I found this. Who wants? You know, I'm thinking last winter, right? We lost a lot of calves, right? It was like hard to get up in the morning. It was like hard to get focused. It was like hard to be, oh my goodness, right? And I remember, I don't know if the kids remember, there's a couple of them, I said, forget about what's going on right now. We have to know that we're going to get through this. Someday it's going to change. In the meantime, we do our best. You know my motto? It's always the right time to do the right thing. Always. The question is, what's the right thing? <laughs> I had somebody say that to me the other day after I told them this on the phone, a friend of mine. How do you know what the right thing is? I said, that's where the Bible comes in. Right? My encouragement to you is, is there's not one person in that book, except for Jesus Christ, that didn't fail. That actually gives me hope. That means I can fail and get right back up. But we also are told to be purposeful, committed, and convinced of the truth. Because when we do that, the courage to keep going, all of those excuses, they just get parted in the way. And you know what? We're on our road to becoming everything that God wants us to be. That's exciting. Now, if you fast forward, because you can't stand it, he's going to go to Jerusalem. You know what? It's going to be exactly as the Holy Spirit told Agabus. Exactly going to be just that way. And you know what it did to Paul? It just made him firmer. He was still persuaded of the same things, because remember, neither life nor death nor anything. It should be the same for us. When we believe that, when we're convinced of that, 
we are committed to God's purposes for His will to be fulfilled in our life, in my life, in your life, and courage takes care of itself. Isn't that cool? That's a God we can trust. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for using the Word of God to show us how powerful you really are. Thank you for your love. That's the motivation behind all of this, literally, Father, is the fact that Paul was motivated by love. As Jesus Christ, as he was washing the disciples' feet on the night of, of that last time they were together in communion, he said, you will know, they will know that you are my disciples when you love one another, your love being the focus of motivation. Father, we'll pray that you will give us the strength from within to help us to be very purposeful to knowing you. Father, as we know you, we know that we need to go to the Word of God. We need to pray. We need to uplift you. And Father, we want to be able to do that in and amongst ourselves as well. And Father, right now I pray for anyone that is hearing my voice that does not know Jesus Christ personally, that this would be a moment between them and you, Father, to do business, to literally bow their heart, saying, I need a Savior. I have a sin problem that I can't fix, but I know you are the only one because you died for my sin. And I release my will to you. I repent of my sins and I ask you to come into my heart. That person that's prayed that simple prayer has become a new believer. The Holy Spirit will reside and dwell within them forever. They will change from the inside out. That's the power we're talking about here today. Father, I pray that not only that we have courage, but first and foremost, Father, that we have a purpose that we cannot be diverted from and we cannot be bought for any price, just as Paul exhibited and, and, and showed us today. Father, may we count the cost carefully. Go with us. Give us understanding, wisdom. We thank you for your grace and the peace that comes as a result. We bow in humbleness before you, asking you to take us where you want us to be with your power and your strength. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.